Today we're going to finish out our Ecclesiastes series. Go, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 11 and 12, both chapters today. I'll give you a second to flip there and then we're going to read together. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. If you're new and you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and grab a Bible on one of these tables behind you. Or uh, if you're outside, there's something on the outside table. There's Ecclesiastes Bible journals and just regular old Bibles we want you to keep. It's our gift to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12. And as we always do, would you go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to do this together. I hope your legs are strong. All of 11 and 12. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remember vexation from your heart and put a, or remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity." Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is the weariness of flesh." The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right, today's sermon is titled Toward Home. Toward home. Now, this is, as I said earlier, the last week in our sermon series through Ecclesiastes, and, and I have just loved studying and meditating upon this book each and every week as we read it, and it's quickly become one of, the, one of my favorite books to preach, so don't be surprised if we return to it eventually. Now, what I want to do before we jump into the text today is just kind of summarize where we've been in Ecclesiastes each successive week. So in week one, we were in chapter one, verses one through 11, and we heard on repeat, and we heard it today, vanity of vanities. We looked at, as the preacher introduced us to life, that everything under the sun Everything under the sun is vanity, that it's like a breath or a mist or a vapor. But if we look to the living Lord beyond the sun, everything has meaning and purpose. And then we looked at chapter 1, verse 12, through the end of chapter 2, and we looked at sorrow and satisfaction, that again, living under the sun, only for things under the sun, leads to sorrow in the depth of the soul. But to live for the Lord beyond the sun, we will have true and meaningful and lasting satisfaction. And then in chapter three, we, we saw the poem, a time, there's a time, a time, a time for mourning and for laughter, a time for fasting and for feasting. What the preacher was getting at is that life is ever changing, but the God beyond the sun is unchanging. And when we look to him, we have hope even in the midst of unstable the unstable world we live in. In chapter four, we looked at this idea of the rat race, that living for the affirmation of others, looking for the applause of man, looking to gain more wealth underneath the sun will ultimately exhaust us, but resting in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf will result in our rest. In chapter five, verses one through seven, we see the fear of God, and we're gonna hear it again today, that the purpose of man is to fear God, to submit to him and to be in awe of him in all of his goodness and his glory and his greatness. In chapter five, verse eight, through chapter six, verse nine, we looked at different idols, the idol of pleasure, the idol of power, the idol of prosperity, and as we pursue those things, we're gonna be left high and dry, empty, but as we pursue God beyond the sun, we will feel fullness and satisfaction. In chapter 6, verse 10, through chapter 7, verse 14, we looked at some lessons from Grandpa on the porch. Remember, Grandpa's just sitting there swinging on the porch with us, just in his old age, giving us collected sayings of wisdom and of life and of purpose. And, and the whole point of that was, listen to me, I've lived some life. There's some life behind me. Follow the way of Jesus. Live for the one beyond the sun, and you will have a life worth living. In chapter 7, verse 15 through 29, uh, Chris Lewis was here, and he preached on wisdom, and wisdom has a name, and his name is Jesus, and to follow Jesus results in a life lived well. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 9, verse 10, we looked at the unpredictability of life. There's a bunch of things coming our way, and, and we can respond in one of two ways. We can respond in sinful reaction to the unchanging nature of life, or we could respond in deep trust of God and his his providence. 
In chapter 9, verse 11 through 10, verse 20, which we looked at last week, we saw the preacher comparing and contrasting wisdom and foolishness. And wisdom is living for God beyond the sun. Foolishness is living as if there is no God. And then today, we have chapter 11 and 12. And the verses I just read to you, you you may have picked up on it. The preacher is doing some cool interplay between youthfulness and Live and being an elderly person. And he is saying, no matter what, the day of the Lord is coming. We are barreling towards the day of the Lord when he will return and remake all things. And, and either he's gonna return or you're gonna die soon. Your expiration date is coming soon. Whether you're young or old, we are all barreling towards home, towards our eternal home. You heard that in chapter 12. And, and in the midst of that, he wants us to see again and again and again that living as if there is no God underneath the sun is vanity. It's fleeting, it's like a vapor, it's like a mist. But as we move towards home, if we live for God beyond the sun, we will again have meaning and hope and purpose in life, everything our hearts starve for. And so today, Today, the main point is just the main point of Ecclesiastes. I'm gonna keep saying it. Ecclesiastes teaches us to live for Jesus beyond the sun. That's it. That's what the preacher wants to communicate. He took 12 chapters and a three-hour sermon to say one thing, right? You guys think my sermons are long. Here's the outline. Life is an adventure, be bold. Life is a precious gift, be joyful. Life is hard, be wise. Life is short, be obedient. This is what the preacher's gonna teach us in chapters 11 and 12. All right, we good? I know it went from 104 to 60 in 36 hours, and we're kind of like, what's going on with this weather? But listen, come on, let's do this together, right? We'll have coffee soon, next week. Next Sunday, I'll have coffee here, okay? First point, life is an adventure, be bold. Life is an adventure, be bold. This is in verses one through six. Now, if you've ever experienced my personality, you know I can be a little bit decisive, like a little bit, not, not totally decisive. I am a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, right? And chapter 10 last week that we saw uh, was convicting for me because the preacher was basically saying, hey, life is ever-changing, be sensible, have some wisdom in the ever-changing nature of life. So it was convicting for me because the preacher's saying, hey, don't be ready, fire, aim. Be ready, aim, fire. Slow down a little bit and make wise choices. But here in this chapter, yeah, this is, this is my speed right here. The preacher's saying, life is an adventure, be bold, which is like a life mantra. I'm gonna get tatted on my forehead soon. I'm not gonna do that. I, I made a big move and got one tattoo right here. You know, lots of ink. Chapter 11, look back at verses one through six with me. The preacher says, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Now, 
if you look at that, at first glance, underneath the sun, the preacher is introducing a lot of doubt and a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety into the life that we live here on earth. He's saying, hey, you're gonna give your portion away, but you don't know if disaster is gonna strike. So you might want that back, right? So as, we, as Christians, we live generously. We freely give of our resources. We don't know what's gonna happen with inflation and the economy and the housing market. And one day we, we're gonna feel like, wow, it's all gonna crash down. Why was I generous? We have doubts about the direction of the economy. And the preacher's saying, listen, you're giving a portion away and you might want it back because disaster is gonna strike. And then he goes on to say, like, you're gonna, you're gonna sow your seed, but you don't know if the rain's gonna come. You don't know if wind's gonna blow the seed away. You don't know if there's gonna be a dry, scorching heat that's gonna swallow that seed up. You don't know what's gonna happen with with the weather cycles as a farmer. You can count on a tree standing for you and it's gonna provide shade to you and to your neighbors, but that tree might just fall down. The preacher's introducing a lot of doubt and fear and anxiety into the lived human experience, which I think we can all identify with. We've all been surprised by the unpredictability of life. Now, the preacher will go on to say, there's two responses to this, right? You you can look at all of this doubt, and then in verse uh, four, he says, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, the preacher is saying, because of doubt, you can have paralysis by analysis, You can look at the wind and you can look at the sun and you can try to study the weather patterns, but ultimately you can get locked up in paralysis by analysis. You're not gonna sow any seed at all because you're so worried as to whether or not the rain is going to come. Or in verse five, we can do this. In the same way, you don't know how a woman gets pregnant. You don't know how the work of, you don't know the work of God who is over everything. He is saying, shift your perspective here. If it's underneath the sun only, you only have reason for doubt and fear and anxiety. But if you see that God is over everything, he is the living Lord beyond the sun, then it's not about doubt and fear. It's actually that life is just an adventure. And every time we're in a place of unknowing what's coming towards us, it's room for deeper trust in God. It's room for boldness. It's room for living a life for God beyond the sun. And the response there in verse six says, in the morning, sow your seed. Don't withhold your hand. So in the words of Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky and Michael Scott, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Come on. You guys know that. He's saying, as you live for the Lord beyond the sun, shoot your shot. You don't know, so just so. You don't know, so just so. So instead of being gripped with doubt and fear and anxiety, saying shift your perspective, there is God over everything. He is in everything. He is working in all things. So this unknowing aspect of the future is not room to shrink back in fear and be crippled with doubt. Instead, it's room to move into more trust in God. Let me try and say it this way. We are venture capitalists for the kingdom of God. So you guys know this idea of venture capitalism. Um, maybe, maybe not. So on Shark Tank, you've, you've probably heard of it. You've got Mark Cuban and Barbara Corcoran and, and a couple of angry old dudes that sit over there and have all this money. And these new startups are coming to them saying, here's my pitch. I want your money to make this happen. Now, here's something that happens in venture capitalism. 
Uber was not Uber till it was Uber. Twitter was not Twitter till it was Twitter. In other words, what I'm saying there is when Twitter and Uber and others come to venture capitalists, they have no proof of concept. You're telling me on my phone I'm gonna order a stranger to come drive me around? There's no proof of concept there. There's no business plan. There's no reason why this thing should work. And yet a venture capitalist sees there's a product here and an idea here, and I'm gonna get behind that with my money. Now, in the kingdom of God, we don't know which way things are gonna go. None of us are sovereign. None of us are providentially working over our own lives. But God is the God who is over all things and in all things and working in all things. He gives us great hope and great cause for boldness. Right? So how does this look? If we see life as an adventure, well, individually it might look like this. Be generous. Okay? Be generous. Again, I've I've shared this already. Katie and I are, mostly Katie, intently studying the housing market. Okay, what's gonna happen? I'm trying to predict the future here, right? We bought in 2018, 19, something like that, right? And it's just been up and to the right since then. At some point, it's gonna crash, okay? It has to. So we're like, what's the perfect timing for us to list and sell and avoid a disaster? We don't know. And, and instead of us saying like, all right, let's pool the resources, let's protect ourselves. What we have to do is see that God is over all things and God is in all things and God works through everything. And so we're just gonna trust him and continue to be generous even if disaster strikes. Be generous. Preach the gospel, friends. Preach the gospel. This last week, I was able to travel to Fort Worth and assess uh, eight or nine potential new church planters for uh, the network we're a part of, Acts 29. You'll hear more about that in a couple of weeks. And, and we sat across from a couple of them and, and said, hey, what's your, what's your ideal outreach plan into your community? And it's like, oh, you know, all these big wild plans and I'm gonna do this and that. And we were there. We were there like four years ago. You guys probably heard that. And it's all just like, you know what? At the end of the day, I just wanna preach the gospel. At the end of the day, all of our fancy plans and all of those things, they're impressive and they sound cool, but at the end of the day, I just wanna build friendships and preach the gospel. I don't don't really care if you reject me or you say no to me or what's gonna happen, but I just wanna shoot my shot. I want you to hear that Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you and through him, you can have forgiveness of sins and life forevermore. I wanna be bold in that. And if I actually believe God is over everything, that includes salvation. In other words, no one's too far gone for God and no one has sinned so much that the grace of God can't just change them in a moment. Be bold. Be bold with your words and your friendships and preaching the gospel. Be hospitable. Welcome people into your home and into your lives. Right, we've all got different excuses and that's what they are, right? I'm introverted. My house is too small. My food's not good enough. I can't cook. I don't, I'm not a good conversationalist. Just be bold. God is over all things. He is working in all things. We have to believe this. As a church, how does this look? Man, I want us to be generous. I want us to grow generously corporately, not just individually, but corporately. And we, we already give away upwards of 10% of our budget to church planting and missions across the world, but we wanna ever increase that. And we wanna give people away and money away so that there might be more churches and missionaries sent from here to the ends of the earth. We believe if God is over all things, he can do that. So we wanna be bold in that. It's not reason for doubt, it's reason for adventure, Right? 
We want a building. So there's gonna be, become a day where we stand before you and say, give above and beyond, because we're gonna make this happen. We wanna show the city of Rancho that we're not just here for a fleeting moment. We wanna have a permanent location where we, we can be a gospel lighthouse in Rancho where the light attracts many to come to Jesus. Not to us, not to Story Church, but to Jesus for life and for salvation. We wanna be bold about that. Like we're just a couple years in, most of it in the middle of COVID. I don't care, we're gonna get after it. Life is an adventure, be bold. Point number two, scratch that, go back a second. One of my favorite hymns was written by Martin Luther. It's called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I'm gonna read to you one of the stanzas. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. If all we see is doubt and the instability of this world, we're gonna be crippled again by Satan. Man, what about Satan? Satan is a puny little you-know-what. One little word is gonna fell him. His future is grim, our future is bright. Life is an adventure, be bold, Satan is nothing. Number two, life is a precious gift, be joyful. Life is a precious gift be joyful. We're going to keep moving through chapter 11. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So you may know this, may not. Uh, light in the scriptures is synonymous with life. So as long as you have life, you should see it as a precious gift. You are living in the sun. You are living in the life that Jesus Christ has graciously gifted to you. So however many years you live, the preacher says, be joyful in all of them. Rejoice in them all. In the words of Paul in the New Testament, he says, rejoice, I say. And again, I say, rejoice. Or Peter says, rejoice with joy. It's redundant. How can I live a life of joy? because we see that this life is a precious gift from the hand of a good father. He gives us, the preacher gives us some instruction on how to do that. He says in, in the verses following that darkness is gonna come, right? Darkness representing, representing suffering and, and addiction and grief and pain and hardship and the ultimate darkness is death. All of us, our days are numbered. I love that, yes and amen. That's, that baby knows life and death, so sweet. There are no exemptions in this room to darkness. Every one of us is gonna suffer. Every one of us is gonna face torment and pain. And ultimately, every one of us is going to die. I don't know when my expiration date is. Right, it could be five minutes from now, drop dead of a heart attack here on this stage. That could happen. I don't know when that's gonna, I don't want that to happen, but it could. So I must see that every moment that I'm living and breathing, as I follow Jesus, every moment is a precious gift from the hand of God. And he says in verse nine, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the side of your eyes, but know, for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. He is saying, young man, life is gonna fly by, 
right? Here one moment, gone the next. As you're living, live for the God beyond the sun and your life will be full of joy. George Mueller says this, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend to every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your joy, your your happiness each and every day is actually in the Lord? Because if I'm being honest with you, in my flesh, I wake up every day and say, my happiness is dependent on a few other things. How much am I gonna have to discipline Owen today? How much sleep am I gonna get tonight? You think I'm joking, all right? What hard meetings am I gonna have today? How peaceable is it gonna be with Katie? You guys know this. As I'm saying this, you laugh, but in your heart, you know, man, there's certain things that I hinge my joy on. The preacher is saying, that's underneath the sun. Look beyond the sun and see where your true joy is sourced and founded and where it flows from. Your first and primary and only business is to make your heart happy in the Lord. Okay, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, number one, you heard the preacher there reference judgment. You can be joyful today because you're not in hell today. Right? I actually believe that. I believe hell is real and an enduring and lasting and eternal place of torment and separation from the presence of the Lord. We can be joyful today because we're not in hell today because Jesus Christ took our judgment for us, that he was condemned to death on a cross where he became our sin, became our sin and bore the wrath of God that was due us. I am judged innocent in Jesus Christ, therefore I have life not just now, but forevermore. That's reason for joy today, I'm not in hell today. But there are many other reasons for us to have joy today. I don't know what that looks like for you. Let me just make a couple of suggestions. Uh, Maybe one suggestion, go ahead and grab a notebook and write your prayers out, okay? I want you to write your prayers because that does a couple of things for you. Number one, it makes sure you're praying because you'll look at an empty notebook one time and feel conviction. It also makes sure you're thoughtful in your prayer, right? You slow down long enough to write your things. And then here's a beautiful thing that happens. When you have a collection of prayers and notebooks, you get to look back and see, here's how the Lord sustained me. Here's how the Lord cared for me. The Lord heard me. The Lord responded to my cries. The Lord drew near to me. And you get to look back and have great reason for joy. The Lord is with you. Maybe another thing is grab your phone and create a note in there. Uh, I know that's what they call it on iPhones. I don't know what they call it on those other ones. You have a note, and you can write down just little reasons to be joyful today. Man, I have the word of the Lord today. I'm so joyful. I just had a great coffee with a friend. I'm so joyful. The Lord provided for my needs again today. I'm so joyful. And actually, keep a short account with God. Discipline your heart to see joy in all things. And even as you suffer, even as you walk through hard things, there's still reason for joy because you're not walking through those things alone. The Lord is with you and the Lord is for you and the Lord is good. So you can write that down each and every day. Make your heart happy in the Lord. And as my pastor in Texas says, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. So what we do there is we center ourselves on what is the Lord doing in my life, and I'm not comparing it to others, because here's what happens to me. Man, I wake up, my feet hit the floor, I'm like, Lord, make my heart happy in you today, and then I go and look outside of me, and I see someone has something I really want, and all of a sudden my joy's gone. 
I've been telling you guys for months to get rid of social media because comparison is the thief of joy, and I realized I haven't done it yet, and I did. I finally got rid of it, deleted it, changed the passwords. I mean, it's still active. I just don't know how to get on it anymore. And guys, my joy has increased. My joy has increased because I'm not seeing a bunch of nonsense. I'm not comparing my life to others. I'm not walking in jealousy of what others have that I don't have. Comparison is the thief of joy. Make your heart happy in the Lord. So that's to the young man. And then in chapter 12, the preacher will go on to talk about the elderly. Um, I'm not gonna read it all, but I just kind of wanna walk through what the preacher does here in chapter 12, verses one through eight. He he goes on to use very poetic language, uh, and he's very dignifying to the elderly uh, in his midst. He he says this, your your keepers are gonna get old and they're gonna shake. When the preacher says keepers, he's talking about your arms and your hands. As you get older, they're gonna just kind of shake, right? The strong men are bent. That's your legs. We always make fun of my grandpa because every year he gets an inch shorter and I get an inch taller. He always used to tower over me. Now I'm kind of eye to eye with him. Your strong men are bent. The grinders cease, the preacher says, because they are few. Any guesses what the grinders are? Your teeth. They fall out, they're brittle, you might need some dentures. The windows, those are your eyes. The windows grow dim. In other words, you can't see as well as you used to. The doors on the street, that's your ears. You can't hear like you used to. You you can't hear, he says later on, the sound of the grinding, which is the hustle and bustle of life around you. He says you get up at the sound of the bird. Birds rise early. And and it's likely the elderly in this room don't sleep very well. They are afraid of what is high and the terrors on in the way. Life seems to move faster and faster and it gets more confusing and scary as you get older. The daughters of song, this is your voice. Your voice gets weak. The almond trees represents the whitening or the silvering or the graying of your hair. The grasshopper drags itself along, the preacher says. Grasshoppers jump and bound, but now the grasshopper is dragging himself along. It gets harder to move. You can't run and jump like you did as a kid. You don't move on a dime without injuring yourself. Desire fails, he says. As you get older, your desires diminish. You no longer have a desire for certain things. You don't have sexual desire. You don't have emotional desire. You don't have physical desire like you used to. You don't have a desire to change or be changed by Jesus. The saying is you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's what the preacher is saying. Your old age doesn't make you more likely to change. Old age makes you less likely to change. So how then... Do the elderly that feel like life is slipping away see that life is a precious gift and I should be joyful in it? Chapter 12, verse one. Remember the creator in the days of your youth. Remember God. Okay, remember God. That as you look back on your lifespan, however long it's been, you see God has been faithful to you. As you have been faithless to him, he has remained faithful to you. He has carried you along through the highs and lows, the peaks and valleys of life. He has been absolutely and eternally faithful to you and to his promises. Remember God. He has sustained you. He has carried you. When when your children were rebelling, he kept you. When the finances were waning, he kept you. As the body grew old, he is keeping you. Remember his faithfulness, remember his goodness, remember his commands, and don't waste your age. Bear fruit 
in your age. Now, uh, all the elderly that come through starting point say, do we belong here? Everyone here is like 15 and they don't even have their GEDs yet. Can I say something for a second? <laughs> Truly, we want you here. And not only do we want you here, we need you here. We need you. We need you to bear fruit in our midst. You need to show us the life that you have lived for Jesus, and even the life you have lived not for Jesus. Like granddaddy swinging on the porch, we need you to speak words of wisdom to us. The time elapsed in my life behind me might be this much. You have this much. That's a perspective change. You have seen God's faithfulness and goodness. Please bear fruit. Don't leave. Don't leave. Pray for us. Serve us. Give your life away for the sake of us and the probably 70 kids down in that room right now. Be fruitful and multiply. Life is a precious gift. Be joyful. Point number three. One second, let me backtrack there. Doing this today, feeling it. Young people, open your life up to the elderly. You don't have it figured out. Isn't it funny? Like, when you're a kid, you're like, before age 12, your parents are your heroes. And they're like Superman. And then you turn 12 and all of a sudden, they're the worst. And they don't get anything right and they don't know how the world works. And then you graduate college and you figure out you gotta pay bills and get a job and you gotta do tax returns and you gotta figure out how to be married to someone and have kids and, uh, and, and be a part of a church. And all of a sudden you're looking at your parents and you're like, man, you did it. You're doing it. And it's admiration and it's respect. For some of us, maybe, maybe some of us don't have that story. Youth in the room. Follow the elderly. Open your life to them. Okay, maybe even this week, grab someone in this church that has gray hair and say, come to my house for dinner. I wanna get to know you. Rick, Rick can cook. Yeah. Next point, life is hard, be wise. Life is hard, be wise. It's chapter 12, verses uh, nine through 12. We're getting to the end of the book and the preacher is beginning to land the plane of his sermon, right? And like any good preacher, the landing takes a good half hour or so. So we'll get there eventually. We can summarize what he says in these verses is life is hard, be wise. The preacher will give some bullet points on wisdom. Look at chapter 12, nine through 12. Besides being wise, the preacher also, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd, my son, beware of anything beyond these, of many books. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is the weariness of flesh. What the preacher is doing as he summarizes your life, life is hard, he is shown us that for 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes. He says, be wise. And he points to the word of God as the source of wisdom. He has done that again and again and again and again. Life underneath the sun can only produce human wisdom, which is ultimately folly. But when we read the scriptures and we know God of the God of the scriptures, we walk in actual wisdom. He says of making many books, 
There is, there's a lot of that, and it's exhaustion. But there's only one book of wisdom. It reminds me of one of my favorite Spurgeon quotes. He says, visit many great books, but live in the Bible. This is why each and every week we try to preach the word and we try to say as an application point, get your nose in the word. Eat, drink of the word of life, the fountain of life, and find not just wisdom, but also joy and hope. And and the preacher in these verses will give us many traits about the scriptures and why the scriptures will give us wisdom. He says the Bible will give you knowledge. Knowledge about God, knowledge about yourself, knowledge about the world you're living in so that when, world, when the world punches you in the face, you're not on your heels, you actually expect it. You knew it was coming. You have knowledge. The Bible, he says, is meant to be meditated upon. You weigh it and you study it, the preacher says. It's been arranged with great care. Why do we meditate upon the scriptures? so that it sinks into our bones, so that when life squeezes, what comes out of us is truth. When life squeezes, what comes out of us is Jesus. He says the the Bible is delightful. Words of delight, the preacher says. It cheers the downcast soul. The scriptures, when we come to the word of God with humble hearts and open hands, if we're full of sorrow, if we're full of pain, the scriptures call us to a life of taking our eyes off ourselves and putting them upon Jesus who will fill our downcast souls with delight. He says the Bible is upright. In other words, the scriptures will not lead you astray. God is a God of truth and God will not lead you astray. He says the Bible is like a goad uh, or a prod that moves sheep along. The scriptures will direct your steps. Paul says something similar in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All things pertaining to life and godliness, God will give you in the scriptures. If you're confounded, if you have vexation in your heart, if you're full of sorrow, if life is hard for you, go to the scriptures, find wisdom, and find Jesus. Because ultimately, the preacher says, there is one shepherd. This book here is not 66 random books collected together. This is one story with one purpose and one savior. The story is the story of redemption that God created all things and man left him and rebelled from him, but he did not leave us in our rebellion, but he sent a redeemer named Jesus to save us from our rebellion and bring us back into his home and that through turning from our sins and trusting in Jesus, we can have redemption, we can have restoration, we can have reconciliation to God where we are moving toward home, toward our eternal home where we'll be in his presence forevermore, that we were once cast out of his presence, but through Jesus, we are brought back into his presence now and forevermore. That is the one story of this scriptures. And that's the one story you need to tell yourself every single day that there is a redeemer and my redeemer lives. And because he lives, I can face today. When life is hard, I can face today because there is a redeemer. And because he lives, I can face today. Life is hard, be wise. Final point here, life is short, be obedient. 
Life is short, be obedient. Like any good preacher, he saves his punchline for the last verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 13 and 14. The end of the matter, here it is. All has been heard, fear God, keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the end of the matter, the preacher says. You've heard all my preaching, now here's the punchline. It's like, bro, you could have turned the sermon into a pamphlet. Give me these verses. The whole duty of man. Okay, so, so my home group, we gathered last Thursday and we're, we're talking about our lives. And we're talking about a few different ideas. Like, how do I discover and live within the will of God? Right? How do I know what my purpose is or my destiny is? The preacher says here, the whole duty of man the whole purpose of your life, the will of God for you, the purpose of God for you, your very destiny, if you follow Jesus, here it is. Fear God, keep his commands. It's that simple. There is no hidden will of God or purpose of God for your life that you gotta go finagle from him. Your purpose, the whole duty of man, fear God, keep his commands. Stand in awe of God. Be in reverential worship of him. Tell your heart that you're not God. He is, and he is holy. He is completely set apart and other than. And with a word he can condemn and with a word he can save. And he chose in his goodness to save me. I should fear God and obey his commands. Every single one of them. Where God says do, we do. Where God says don't, we don't. And friends, we live in a culture in a day of moral relativism. Okay? where we take kind of outside ideologies and worldviews and bend them a little bit and say, it must be okay because it's in culture all around me. No, no, where God says do, do. Where God says don't, don't. Fear God, obey his commands. This is what life is all about, living for Jesus beyond the sun. But then the preacher ends with something weird. He ends with judgment. He says there is a judgment day coming. If life is short, I was born December 29th, 1989. My expiration date, again, unknown. But either way, life is short. Every single word, every single thought, every single action, every single deed is gonna be laid bare before God, the judge. Every single one of them, hidden and seen spoken and unspoken, physical actions and things kept in my heart, every single one of those things are gonna be stacked up like a resume before God the judge. Why does the preacher end with judgment? Here's why I think. The preacher is finally answering the question of Ecclesiastes. Is it all vanity? Is it all vanity? Is it meaningless? Because if there is no God then the life I live doesn't matter. If there is no God, there is no judgment, so I can do whatever I want and I can appease my sinful flesh. But if there is a God beyond the sun and he is judge, then everything matters. Everything matters. Right now matters for eternity. 
Ecclesiastes doesn't end with a promise of grace, but with a warning of judgment. And yet judgment always pushes us towards grace. Because here is the truth. All of my words, all of my thoughts, all of my actions, all of my deeds are going to be laid bare before the God of the universe as judge. And because of Jesus, every one of those things is crimson red. Every single one of those things is covered in the blood of Jesus. So when I fail, God still says forgiven. When I run away from Jesus, he still says you're mine. When I neglect to be obedient to his commands, he says you will forever be mine because the work of Jesus, yes, judgment is coming, but because of Jesus, I have been labeled a son of God. And you have been labeled a son or daughter of the most high king. And so judgment should push us towards grace. And the only way to receive this grace is to entrust your life to Jesus, to confess with your mouth and turn from your sins. And in that very moment, you will be called righteous and forgiven. Jesus, the only sinless one, the only spotless one, the only one with the power to save, entered human history. And he took our resume of failure and he gave us his resume of righteousness. At just the right time, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the very righteousness of God's. That while we were enemies, he made us friends. We feast on the gospel. Have you done that? Have you taken shelter in Jesus to save you from a life of vanity, for merely living a life underneath the sun? Are you trusting in the living Lord beyond the sun, not just for eternal life and forgiveness of sins, but for every waking moment? Are you trusting in him? We have to decide today, church, whether the preacher is lying to us or he's telling us the truth. If he's lying to us, then just live underneath the sun. It's all vanity anyways, who cares? But if he's telling us the truth, what is keeping us from building our lives on the bedrock of Jesus? Life is short, be obedient. So to sum up Ecclesiastes, life is about living for Jesus beyond the sun. The application point from Ecclesiastes week after week after week after week after week after week for 12 weeks has been thrust yourself upon Jesus. Wake up to his new morning mercies. Trust in Jesus alone. I beg of you, if you're not a Christian, turn from your sins and trust in Jesus for the first time and receive salvation. If you are a Christian, don't pretend like you graduate from grace and you can now live this life on your own. Throw yourself on the unending mercy and grace of Jesus because you need it and I need it. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you for Jesus that he he was judged, condemned in the flesh that we might be judged innocent and righteous. I pray you would help us to worship him and him alone. And because of our worship of him, we, we would see that we can have wisdom, we can have joy, we can have boldness, and we can live a life of obedience. It's all because of Jesus. 
God, you are over all things. You are in all things. You are working in all things. Therefore, we don't have reason to shrink back and, and, and doubt, but we have, we have boldness to go forth trusting that you, God, are powerful and at work. Life is hard and it's changing and sometimes it, it punches us in the jaw and yet we know that we can have wisdom as we walk through those things, as we cling tightly to Jesus and more importantly, he clings tightly to us. We know that life is short and judgment is coming but only through Jesus can we be judged righteous. God, I, I pray you would help us to thrust ourselves upon the unending mercy and grace of Jesus. He is the water of life. He is the tree of life. He is the bread of life. He is what we need. Thank you that you have sent him to be available to us. Wherever we are downcast, wherever we're walking in sin, wherever we're wandering, draw us near again, God. We have not left your grips. We can't, nothing can pluck us from your hands. Draw us near to your heart. Draw us near to your presence that we might see you and treasure you and worship you because only you are worthy. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.